uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Paul said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of vocation wherein you are called with all lowliness and meekness with long suffering, forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, now that he ascended, what is it? But he that also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him on all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the next few moments, God, that you would bless us. I pray you'd give us liberty, touch our hearts and speak to souls and God, may you be glorified and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want you to notice in these verses tonight that Paul deals with both the position and the disposition of the church in this fourth chapter. In chapters one through three, he's talked about the wealth of the believer. Now in chapters four through six, Paul is going to talk about the walk of the believer. In chapter one, uh, we see it as we talk about the, uh, that chapter being the majesty chapter. As Paul talks about the great majesty uh, on highs, we've been adopted and uh, through the predestination and foreknowledge of God, uh, Paul gives those blessings, those spiritual blessings that comes from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is the majesty chapter. Then chapter two is the mercy chapter. As we see where we once were and where God has brought us from. As the Bible said, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. When we come to chapter three, it's the great mystery chapter. As Paul reveals one of the great mysteries of the New Testament, the mystery of the church, amen? As the Jews could see the cradle, they could see the cross, uh, and they could see the crown, but the missing link in Jewish prophecy is that they could not see the church, uh, for it was hidden from them, but revealed to the Gentiles, amen? And then in chapter four is the great maturity chapter, as he tells us now, because of what we have, we're to walk worthy of the vocation wherein we are called. Chapter 5 is the great marriage chapter and chapter 6 is the great military chapter as he talks about the warfare of the believer. But here tonight in this passage, I want you to know that Paul lays the groundwork here now as he's talked about doctrine in the first three chapters, but now he's going to talk about duty. Amen? Paul has dealt with, my friend, the things that we have in Christ and he's dealt with our wealth 
but now he wants to emphasize our walk, amen? He's talked about how uh, we've had a great calling uh, and because of that calling, uh, it should affect our conduct, amen? Our position ought to have an effect on our practice, amen? You see, what you and I believe tonight determines how we behave, amen? I'm telling you, take a man, what he believes, it dictates his behavior. And so Paul is simply telling us that in the first three chapters, uh, he reveals the church uh, and how that God sees the church uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Now the way that God sees the church uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is the way that the world uh, ought to see the church here on earth, amen? We're to be conformed to his image, isn't that right? We are the body of Christ. Uh, We are the building of God. Uh, And as Christ is the head of the body and we are the body, we're to be conformed to his image. Uh, We're to be in his likeness. Uh, And if you say, well, preacher, what is it that God uh, really wants to do in my life? I'm gonna tell you ultimately what God wants to do in all of our lives uh, is that he wants to make all of us more like his son, amen? He's conforming us, molding us, making us, shaping us, working in our life, uh, taking things out and putting things in. Why? He wants us to surrender. He wants us to yield. Why? So that we might be more like Jesus uh, and less like ourselves. Isn't that right? And so when we come to this chapter here, Paul emphasizes in these 16 verses the unity that is or that should be in the body of Christ. You see, there is unity in the body of Christ. Unity is not something that is manufactured by the church or by the saints, but as we see in this text tonight, the unity that we are to have is what we do have, and it's in the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? And the more that we are Christ-like, and the more that we live for Christ and we live like Christ, the more unity that we're gonna see amongst believers, amen? Unity does not come from me, and unity does not come from you, but unity comes uh, uh, is a gift that is co- uh, comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one, one calling. You know why? All of that's not in us, uh, but all of that's in him. Amen? Uh, the unity is in him, and if we'll follow him and live like him uh, and uh, listen, strive to please him, that unity that's in Christ, you know what it'll do? It'll overflow in our life, uh, and it'll overflow in other people's life, uh, and the church as a body, my friend, can function in the unity that God has given us. Amen. And so I want to preach a few minutes tonight on the unity of the church. Amen. The unity of the church. I want you to see four things tonight and we'll be through. First of all, I want you to notice in these first three verses tonight, I want you to notice the grace of the unity in the church. The grace of the unity that is in the church. Paul said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, You ought to underline that little phrase. Uh, The prisoner, and notice that phrase, of the Lord. It's found 45 times in this epistle. Beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, Paul is talking about the grace of unity that is in the church, and he tells us that it is seen in our walk in verse number one. You and 
and I are to walk worthy of the vocation or the calling wherewith we have been called. You see tonight, Paul is seen as a pastor and Paul is seen as a prayer warrior. But here Paul is seen as a prisoner and as a prisoner not of Rome but of the Lord Jesus Christ. He beckons the church that we would walk in this unity that God has given us. When you think about the calling, he said wherewith you're called. The Bible talks about our calling. In fact, it talks about it in Philippians 3 and verse number 14 and it tells us that it's a high calling. Amen? In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 9, Paul calls it a holy calling. And then in Hebrews 3 and verse number 1, it's called a heavenly calling. Hey, I'm glad we've been called. Amen? That's what ecclesia means. It means the called out assembly. Amen? And that's who the people of God are. We are the called out. We're the church and we're to walk worthy of that calling tonight. It ought to affect our walk. Being saved ought to make such a difference in all of our life that it ought to change our walk. Amen? Now, I don't believe people that say they've been saved for 40 years and they're still wallowing in the same mud hole that they've always been in. You say, preacher, can't people backslide? Sure, but you gotta come out of the pit, amen, before you can ever go back to it. But those that are still wallowing in the same pit, they've never slid forward, friend. They're not backslid. They've never slid forward. They're not saved. But salvation, if it's big enough to do a work in your heart, it'll do work in your feet. It'll do work in your hands. It'll do a work in your tongue. It'll do a work in the way you live. It'll do a work in your mind, the same salvation that works here. You mark it down, it will work out, amen, and it'll change our walk. The grace of unity is seen in our walk. It's seen in our witness in verse number two. He said, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, amen. Notice he talks about lowliness. He talks about meekness. He talks about long suffering. He talks about forbearing, to hold up. He talks about uh, endeavoring and he talks about love. You see, Paul here, uh, he gives us five virtues uh, that's going to help us in our Christian life. Uh, uh, Lowliness, uh, uh, all of these are a product of humility. uh, Lowliness is a product of humility. Meekness is the patience of humility. Long suffering is the persistence of humility. Forbearance is the protectiveness of humility. Endeavoring is the progress of humility. That word endeavor means to to do your best. It means to study. And what Paul says in these verses here, as the church, we ought to study unity. Amen? Now I think some people study division in a church. I mean, they're masters at causing trouble. Everywhere they go, they stir something up and it seems like that's what they love to do. But I'm telling you, if you're saved tonight. Uh, You don't want division in the church. Uh, You want to keep unity in the house of God. Isn't that right? You say, well, preacher, how can I endeavor? How can I do my best? How can I study to do what Paul says in verse 3, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? Be humble. Show lowliness, meekness. Show forbearing. Hold one another up. Show love. Endeavor. All of these virtues help us. I'll tell you how to keep unity in the house of God. Treat everyone equal. Don't build alliances. Avoid uh, being sucked into cliques or groups that that would exclude uh, others. Can I get an amen right there? Avoid sharing your opinion, expressing disgruntlement or speaking uh, gossip. Just because (coughs) something's true doesn't mean it has to be told. Isn't that right? 
Don't pry into people's personal lives. Can I get a witness right there? Uh, listen, don't, you're not working for the CIA. Can I get an amen right there? Don't investigate people's lives. and You don't have to know everything. I don't have to know everything about people's lives. Uh, don't ask questions that people don't give you answers to. I mean, listen, some people ask the most personal things. Uh, uh, listen, I, I view things like this, uh, and I believe it's right, that, that if somebody wants me to know something, they'll tell me. There's just some things that I'm not gonna ask people uh, because I feel like I'm stepping into their zone. Can I get an amen right there? Uh, some people will just ask you anything. Uh, because they want to know. But guess what? You're not gonna die if you don't know. Now get an amen right there. You know, the older I get, the less I want to know. Is that right? Somebody said, you hear about so-and-so? No, don't tell me. I don't wanna know. If they're not dying, don't tell me. You say, well, preacher, don't you wanna know? I figure if they want me to know, they'll tell me. That's just common sense, ain't it? But it causes division in church when we put our nose places that don't belong. Don't, don't slander the saints of your church. Be an encouragement about your church. Keep, the right, keep your attitude in check. Be pleasant in your words, in your worship, in your witness. I'm just telling you how to endeavor, how to keep unity in the church. I remember one time somebody actually left our church because, and this is what they told me, they said, I'm not coming back no more. And had been here for a good number of years. And I said, well, well why? He said, because when things happen, nobody talks about it. I said, at least we have one that was honest about it. I said, well, brother, what do you want me to do? Tell you everything that happened? I said, some things I don't even know. But I'm going to tell you, a church will function in unity when everybody stays in their lane. Is that right? Including the pastor. I don't try to figure out everything about people's lives. If it doesn't involve the church, then I pray for them unless they engage me in that. I figure that it's best I just pray and not know everything about everybody. I'm talking about the the grace of unity in the church. And then there's the ground of unity in the church. Look Look at verse number four. He said, there's one body, one spirit. He lists seven things here, seven bonds that he talks about. Those that he mentions in verse four and talks about the unity of redemption. Those in verse five talks about the unity of responsibility. Those in verse six talks about the unity of relationship. You see, one body has to do with the church. That's the structure combining all, amen. One spirit has to do with the comforter. Uh, That's strengthening vitality for all. Uh, One hope has to do with uh, the challenge. That's stimulating, inspiring all. Uh, One Lord has to do with the Christ. uh, That's superior over and controlling all. One uh, faith is the standard uh, that has to do with credentials occupying all. That's the common denominator in our life is our our faith, amen, the faith. One baptism, not water baptism, but baptism of the Spirit symbolizing, uh, initiating all that has to do with the confession that we have been saved. Uh, And then, uh, listen, one God and Father, that's the sufficiency, sustaining all. That's the Creator. He lists these seven bonds that are mentioned here. And these seven bonds is what holds us together. We have one Lord. We have one faith. 
faith. We have one baptism. Uh, listen, we have one God and Father. Hey, I'm glad that, that what we have is, is unified. And just as it's unified, that's why we can be unified. Amen? You see those uh, that serve the false gods of this world. Uh, listen, they serve many gods. And, and there's many gods out there in this world. And so therefore, they're divided. But Christianity, it doesn't divide, but it defines. Amen? When you say you're a Christian, it puts you on an island all by yourself. You know why? Because there's one Lord and there's one faith and there's one baptism and there's one hope and there's one spirit and thank God I'm glad I'm in that body. Amen? Hey, there's just one body and our body don't have two heads. Amen? Thank God we've got one head and we're unified together. We're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know. I believe in the local church but I also believe in the universal church. And when I say that, I don't mean ecumenicalism, but I don't know how you cannot believe in a universal church, not believe in a universal church. Because it doesn't matter where you're at when you get saved, you're baptized in the body of Christ and we become members of that body, the church of the living God. A man tried to tell me one time that there, there is the church and there, the bride and then there's friends of the bride. I said, I only have one problem with that. The Bible said that G- husbands love your wives even as Christ, or love your wife even as Christ, or wives uh, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, when you separate the bride and friends of the bride, you know what you're saying? You're saying Christ gave himself for some and he didn't give himself for others, amen? No, this is the church age. This is the grace dispensation. If you get saved, you're baptized by one spirit into one body. Amen. Uh, Christ doesn't have two brides. He doesn't have two bodies. Uh, he's got one body. Amen. Uh, again, I don't believe in ecumenicalism. I'm not holding, uh, holding hands with the Catholics. Uh, I'm not holding hands with a Jehovah Witness. Amen. Uh, but I do believe if you're saved by the grace of God, uh, hey, when the rapture takes place, guess what? He's coming for me and he's coming for you. Amen. He's going to take the church out. Isn't that right? Uh, and so we see here... Uh, uh, the ground uh, of, the, uh, of this unity. It's all in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what this text proves tonight? It proves why when someone is not saved, and though they may be a member of the church, but they're not a member of the body of Christ, it proves why they struggle to belong. You know why some people are always fighting against the church? Because they never got in. But when they get in, guess what? They can get along, amen. When you get in, you'll get along. Isn't that right? Doesn't mean we can't be sideways, but we see the grace, we see the ground of unity, and then we see the gifts of unity in the church in verse number seven. Notice here, it's all to do with Christ, amen. He talks about the power of Christ in verse seven, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Hey, this this unity that comes through the body, it's given through the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And verse eight, there's the portrayal. Wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that now that he ascended, what is it? But that he had also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might feel all things. This portrayal here uh, is a picture of Christ as a conqueror. Amen. And I want to tell you, my friend, the gift of unity we have, it's through the Lord Jesus Christ, not through our power, not through our strength, but the Bible says 
says in verse number seven, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. I'm gonna tell you the fact that we have unity as a body is a gift, amen? And it's through Jesus Christ. Why? He talks about him ascending and descending. That means he was Lord of heaven and he's Lord of hell and through the church it proves he's Lord on earth, amen? Now he was Lord before the church. He'll be Lord after the church, but he is Lord tonight, amen? He ascended on high because he's Lord. He descended because he's Lord and through the power, I mean through the, uh, listen, through the church, you know what the the world learns? Uh, They learn that he's Lord, amen? Because we preach a crucified Jesus, uh, we preach a resurrected Lord uh, and we preach a soon coming king, amen? And when he comes, uh, he's coming for the church, amen? Uh, He's coming to divide and to conquer, amen? He came the first time as a savior, but he's coming the second time uh, as a king, amen? Uh, And he's gonna come and snatch his bride away. Thank God that is the gift of the unity in the church is that he's gonna take us all to heaven, hallelujah. He's coming for every one of us, amen. That means the good members and the bad, amen. That means the happy ones and the sad. That means the ones that are right and the ones that are wrong. I'm telling you everything that's wrong with the church tonight. What revival don't fix down here, rapture's gonna take care of over yonder, amen. I'm telling you, we're going to a judgment seat and he's gonna get out every spot. He's gonna, listen, wash away every spot. He's gonna iron out every wrinkle and the next time this world sees us, we'll be a glorious church. We'll be the of Christ. We'll be coming together in one unison. That is the gift and the grounds and the grace of unity. Hallelujah. Of the church tonight. And he talks about it in this text. And Notice in this gifts of unity in verse 11, he talks about what he gave the church. He gave some apostles. And when you think about the apostles tonight, they, are, they were a gift to the church to establish the church. He talks about some prophets to edify the church. Evangelists to enrich the church. Pastors to encourage the church. And teachers to equip the church. Uh, He gave all this to the church. Isn't that a blessing? Now we know these are speaking gifts and some are active and some are inactive. We know that the apostles and the prophets are no more. Uh, We know that uh, uh, those are inactive gifts now. They were for that time to establish. Uh, They were for that time, uh, uh, my friend, to to edify (coughs) until the word of God was was fulfilled. But now we have pastors, we have evangelists, uh, and we have teachers to enrich, to encourage, and to equip the church. And I want to say tonight, I thank God for evangelists that travel up and down the road and preach in churches. I thank God for pastors that labor faithfully week in and week out and preach in churches. And I thank God for good Sunday school teachers that study and apply themselves and teach the word of God and enrich people's lives and help equip the saints. Thank God for these gifts to the church. Hallelujah. Amen. Several years ago, there was a book written that said there was no such thing as qualified biblical evangelists today. The book was, was said that they were men that call themselves evangelists, but they don't actually do the work of an evangelist. And I could say nothing could be further from the truth. The writer of that book was simply trying to state that true evangelism where Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist was not go and run a meeting every week but was to go out in the highways and hedges and preach the gospel and I would say that is true, that is right 
But that's not all evangelism is. When Paul said do the work of an evangelist, that's exactly what he, he was talking about. Go preach the gospel. But the gospel needs to be preached in churches and street corners. But the work of an evangelist in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is to, to propagate the gospel. But here in our text, if you notice in verse 11, and when you get to verse number 12, evangelism is not just outside the church, but a true evangelist has the responsibility in verse 12 for three things concerning inside the church. And when an evangelist comes and runs a revival meeting in the church, he's, he's actually doing what verse 12 says. It's for the perfecting of the saints, it's for the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. When we have a revival meeting and like Brother Barnes or, or one of these men come in and preach, uh, that's what they do. They preach to us. Why? For the perfecting, for the full maturity of the saints, uh, uh, for the work of the ministry, amen, and for the edifying what? Of the body of Christ. Uh, I say that's what their responsibility is. Uh, as Brother Barnes has said many times when he goes places, he passes out tracts. Uh, he preaches evangelism meetings and, and crusades and so do the other evangelists, Brother Hewitt and those. Uh, uh, but it does not uh, mean that they do not have the responsibility to preach in the church as well. I'm telling you, there's been times, I remember one time our church was in about a 14-month slump and we just couldn't pull out of it. I remember, listen, God put it on my heart to cancel the revival that we had uh, uh, in September and so we canceled that meeting because there weren't in no shape uh, uh, for it. And I'll tell you, we got to about the second the week of November and we was probably in worse shape during the second week of November than we were the first week of September and I got up on that Sunday morning it's about as dead as it was this morning and I said how many of y'all are miserable because I am seemed like every hand in the house went up that night or that morning I said let's just meet back tonight and then tomorrow night and we're just going to have a revival meeting I called Brother Barnes I said can you come he said you're not going to believe this but I had a week council and he said I'm going to be home for the next two weeks I'm I said, well, I don't know what kind of meeting we're gonna have, but just come on anyway. He came at night, and I'm gonna tell you, God sat down here for about two and a half weeks uh, and pulled us out of about a 14-month slump, amen. I'm gonna tell you, you needed more than a pastor to do that. You needed a God-called evangelist to come in and to preach those days. Uh, you know what that was? That was a gift to the church, amen. Uh, and God used him uh, to be a blessing to our church. Uh, and so we see here that is uh, one of the gifts as an evangelist, a gift is a pastor and teachers, amen. You know, I thank God for this church. I have no complaints for how this church treats me or treats my wife or my family. You've been good to us. And I tell that everywhere I go. In fact, I had a flat tire one time and a church was gonna buy me a set of tires. I said, no, you can't do that. I said, my church would be mad if they find out you bought me a set of tires and they did. And I said, I can't roll in on Sunday with a new set of tires from y'all. He handed me a check and he said, it's already done. And you know what I did? I come back and let this church buy me a set of tires and I took that check and put it in the offering. Amen? That's how much I believe that tonight. And I appreciate how good this church has been, been to me. But it's not that way everywhere. Pray for pastors like you've never prayed before. Brother, I'll tell you, sometimes going and preaching revival meetings, sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with the church. You're not even there for them sometimes. Sometimes you're there for a week or two or three days or whatever just to help that pastor and his wife make it to the next hilltop. Brother, I've seen preachers 
quit the ministry. Their wives get bitter. Their children get out. All because you, you, you would be, you would probably be shocked tonight as a church because it don't happen here, thank God. But you'd be shocked tonight if you knew how some people treated the pastor's wife or their children. How wicked and how evil. Sometimes people say, Preacher, why? I'm telling you tonight, I won't bore you with the horror stories. I knew a lady, though, that almost blew her brains out because of the way some ladies treated her in the church. It wasn't something that happened a week or two. It was over about four years' time. She got to the point that they were so cruel to her that she was actually contemplating suicide. I know a lady that left her husband because of the same reason. I'm telling you tonight, God's been good to us. I'm going to say, I say I compliment this church for the unity. Amen. I told my wife the other day, I said, man, they gave you more gifts than they ever give me. I said, they must love you. It's not in gifts. I'll tell you, if you never gave us another thing, it's not money. Tonight, I promise you with all my heart, it's not money. It's not pat on the backs. It's not, it's not gifts. Just showing up here every week. Just staying with, just standing behind the man of God when you preach on sin. Just saying, preacher, we're, we're with you. If, if this is what God has laid on your heart to do, we're not going to fight you over it. And I'm not going to take that lightly. But we're not going to buck you. We're going to follow you. I, I was talking to uh, Brother Doyle. I said, you know, when we built that building, we went in there and we built that, uh, we built that building there. And uh, I, I told Brother Roach, I said, well, we probably ought to vote on some uh, color of the carpet. And, and Kat, he said, don't vote on none of that stuff. I said, well, somebody get mad. It's a Baptist church. He said, no, we don't vote on nothing like that. I said, okay. We built this, and you know what? When we built that building, people walked in. Not one person complained about anything. Everybody was so happy. We built this building. We didn't ask nobody nothing. I didn't pick the color out. If you don't like it, don't come see me. But you know what? We didn't, nobody complained about nothing. Isn't that good? We don't fight over carpet. We don't fight over chandeliers. I, I really don't care. that. I mean, I want it to look nice. I think you're the same way. But it, I don't come to look at those lights. I don't come to, to see. And, and you know what? Everybody just gets it. But it's not that way in a lot of churches. I was in a church one time. Brother Allen was in the same church. Walked in on a Wednesday night and was sitting there. I'd been working all day. Come in. We were singing the, singing the congregation song. And I looked up. And there was a different light here put up. There was a different light here put up. And it was a different light there put up. I said, what is going on here? And then there was all the old lights. They wired in three lights so the congregation could vote on which light they liked. You know what I'd have done? I'd kept all the same old ones. Isn't that right? Isn't that crazy? I'm not being critical, but I'm telling you, why would people go to such length to do things that don't matter in eternity? Isn't it good to, to just have a church where people get along, amen? And we find the growth of, of unity in the church in verses 12 through 16. It's for the perfecting of the saints. Uh, I want to tell you something about growth of unity in a church. Uh, just a few things here and we're done. Number one in verse 12, it's visible for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. Hey, when a church is growing spiritually, that's visible, amen? When people are growing in the grace and the knowledge uh, and they're growing in unity and 
and everybody's getting along, guess what? You don't have to announce it. You don't have to tell it. You walk in a church uh, and you can sense when there's unity and you can sense when there's division in a church. Uh, you can sense when people are happy and you can sense when they're mad. I remember preaching revival back a couple of years ago in a church uh, and, and listen, everybody that was a member of that church, which was about 35 people, I think, uh, or at least was in that meeting, they all sat right up here together and all the visitors sat right over here and uh, the pastor said, I, I don't know what to do. He said, I can't get them to break up. Uh, they all just sat in the squad. I said, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd take every other pew out, amen? So they had to spread out just a little bit. But that's a poor testimony on a church uh, when, uh, listen, people won't reach across the aisle to visitors, amen? Uh, but whenever there's unity and people are growing uh, and the work of the ministry is going on, it is visible, Amen. It's not only visible, but look at verse number 12, uh, or verse number 13, it's valuable. Notice what he said, till we all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure, the stature, notice this, of the fullness of Christ. That's the key to that whole verse right there, the fullness of Christ. Unity is valuable, because I'm gonna tell you why. It makes us more like Jesus. When a church is working together, and the body, you think about it, when your body's working together, when the function is in harmony, life is better, isn't it? Things are right. You look at someone that, and I don't mean this in the wrong way, someone that's disabled, someone that has a, a deformity, what that means is that part of their body is not functioning with the rest of that body. And then whenever, that, that we call it a disability. Why? Because it has crippled, it has hindered. And I'm gonna tell you, unity in a church, when we're growing in unity, it's valuable because we're more like Jesus. It's visible, it's valuable, and then it's vital. Look at verse number 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby, notice this, they lie in wait to deceive. Now I wanna tell you something tonight. When division gets in a church, you mark it down, the devil will go to work full time. He don't have to show up, he's already here. I promise you the devil attends every church service or one of his imps do. And all the devil's waiting for is for somebody to get crossed up. And when someone gets crossed up and that problem doesn't get fixed, then what happens is it allows room for Satan to work. He gives him room to, to slide in, the slide of men, the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. I'm gonna tell you when a church is unified and they're growing in unity and they're growing and they're going forward spiritually, you know what happens? Uh, the devil don't have a foothold in that church. Uh, you wanna keep the devil out of the church just everybody keeps pulling in the same direction. You wanna keep the devil out of the church uh, everybody stick together. You wanna keep the devil out of the church when your feelings get hurt or when my feelings get hurt, just pray about it and get over it and go on. Amen. Because eternity is too long and life is too short to hold a grudge at anybody, but especially those of the household of faith. We ought to just get over it and just go on. Amen. We oftentimes hear people say this Well, I got hurt. Now, I understand people can get cut pretty deep. But the truth of the text is this we've all been hurt, and we've all hurt people. And so, getting out of church, leaving the body because you got hurt is not a reason tonight. You have to go on, amen. It's vital and it's vocal. Look what he said in verse number 15, speaking the truth in love. I'm gonna tell you, a church that's growing in unity, you know what they'll have? The number one element, they'll have love. They'll speak the truth 
but they'll do it in love. You know, you can take a firm, firm stand and not be a smart aleck. You can, you can preach the truth and you can be bold and not be mean-spirited. Oh, God, help us tonight. You can, you can love, you can hate sin, but you can love the sinner. And it's vocal. We can speak the truth in love. And I'll tell you this, this is, the, this is the truth tonight. If people know that you love them and they know that you care about them, you can always tell them the truth. They may not always like it. They may not always do it, but they will receive it if they know you love them and you care about them. Then I want to say tonight, the growth of unity is victorious. Look what he said in verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You know what verse 14, time or verse 16 will not allow me to elaborate that tonight but verse number 16 simply put means this everybody is important. Every member, every joint supplieth every part maketh increase of the body to the person that <coughs> to the person that vacuums the carpet to the person that teaches Sunday school to the pastor to the song leader to the deacons to the person who puts the paper towels and the toilet paper in the stalls that fills the track racks up every person is important tonight. Isn't that right? To the person that opens and closes the gates, turns the sound system on, the lights on, everybody's important. You think about it. You say, well, I just opened the gate or I just put toilet paper in the stall or I just vacuumed the carpet or I just turned the lights on. Yeah, but what if all those people wasn't here? What would it be like? Everybody's important. Everybody's equal tonight. And I tell you that for this reason, friend. You are important to this church. You get out of this church or you get out of church, I promise you what I'm about to say is a fact. The church suffers. If you, if you draw back spiritually tonight, you may still be in here, but you're in here in body only. You could be giving God more. You could be doing more for God. If you're not where you ought to be at, you should get there tonight because your church needs you. Amen. Brother, we, if days don't change, and we know they're not going to, we know Jesus is coming. But in all of our minds, we have to wonder sometimes, what's church going to be like 10 years from now? What's this world going to be like 10 years from now? I don't know what the world's going to be like 10 years from now, but I can tell you this. If the church grows in unity, and the, and the church takes the right stand and keeps working together, the church can be stronger 10 years from now than it is right now. The changing world, the adversity, and all the problems, as Brother Danny was teaching this morning, it don't have to hinder the church. We can march right on if we stay together. But don't faint in the day of adversity. You stay faithful. You young people, you marry in the will of God. Amen. Don't marry anybody that don't believe this book. Amen. Don't marry anybody that don't have the same convictions and standards that you have. Don't marry anybody that don't go to an independent, fundamental, old-time, King James, premillennial, 
forked lightning, Mount Sinai, sin-hating, devil-hating, preaching, mission-minded, soul-winning, shouting. Amen. Church. You say, that's narrow. That's right. That's right. Don't do that. You bring them in here, it'll be a culture shock to them. They want you six months after your marriage, you know what they'll be saying? Well, let's go back down to, our, to my Methodist church or my Episcopalian church. Amen. You say, well, I married somebody, and it may have worked out for you, but I'm going to tell you nine out of ten times, it don't work out. You'll change them. You marry of like faith, of like conviction, of like stand, and God will be good to you for that. I raised my kids that way. I believe it with all my heart. We, we raised them that same way. I remember we set them down we, and, and they said, we, we didn't, we're not against church of God. We didn't raise the church of God. We're not against the Methodist. Good, I know plenty of good Methodist people. But we didn't raise you Methodist. We're not against them. It's just not how you was raised. You said that's too narrow. It still works. If a marriage is going to be in harmony, how can two walk together except they agree together? God's big enough. If you're in a Methodist church and you pray, God will send you a Methodist. God's big enough if you're in a Baptist church. He'll send you a Baptist. Amen. He'll send you an independent Baptist. Just pray and wait and wait on God. Raise your kids in the same type of atmosphere that you was raised in. Keep them. Keep them. And, it's, and the world's going to get tighter. But you just hold the same row. Hold the same row. You'll never be sorry. God will bless you for that as we stand tonight.